Hello everyone, welcome back to Overseas Overheard to another very special episode. I know it has been a while, but I hope everyone is doing well. In this episode, we are going to have Raul, a senior from Kenyan College, interviewing um, June, an international student from South Korea, just recently graduated from Columbia University. In this episode, you're going to hear various stories ranging from how June and Raul ended up studying abroad in the U.S., June's journey of becoming the student body president, June's crazy military stories, as well as their advice for international students and the ideal policy change for international students. I hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to support us throughout. Please um, feel free to DM us for any potential ideas for future episodes. Um, I wish everyone all the best and take care. Thank you. Well, first of all, June, nice to meet you. <laughs> it's really good to see you and, and to meet you. And, and welcome, everyone, to your new episode of Overseas Overheard. Thank you very much. Excited to meet you as well. I've heard a lot of things about you, but uh, I think it's better if you start introducing yourself for those of uh, for those people in the audience that haven't heard about you and all the incredible things that you've accomplished. Got it. I'll do that. So uh, my name is June Beck. I recently graduated from Columbia University in New York City, and uh, I studied computer science and physics while there. But I'm also an international student from South Korea, and uh, so I worked at the student council as first the international student representative. And then later as a student body president. Well, that's amazing. And I, and I know there's more parts of this, of your story. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But uh, just to introduce myself then to, to the other people who haven't heard uh, or, or don't know me, I'm Raul Romero and I'll be your host uh, for this episode. I'm a senior at Kenyon College, international student from Venezuela. I'm the founder and CEO of Yaquera. So again, uh, welcome, June. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about what was your journey like? Yeah, so I was born in South Korea and I, I pretty much stayed my entire life in South Korea. I think that the reason I wanted to come to America is that I felt that going to school in Korea, that would really limit the opportunities for me to learn, especially during my early 20s. And I think that going to America and going to like a school with a very diverse students. I was really, really looking forward to that. Yeah. How about you? How's been your journey like as well? So I think it's super interesting. And I, I, I also, I mean, I, I had been outside of Venezuela before, but I had never like lived abroad. I had never lived outside of the country. I was not expecting to come to the U.S. Um, you know, I think it's a really interesting. I actually, I had this program when I was a senior in high school in Venezuela I had this program called the Youth Municipal Government. So it was a, like a local government institution that I was creating for like leadership because long story short, the regime had stripped um, schools uh, from the capacity to create like student councils. So like students couldn't join like student organizations. So I started creating this, uh, this initiative that we wanted to turn into law in the local council. Mm-hmm. And one of the schools I was visiting, the, the teacher, one of the teachers said, like, actually, we won't be able to let you in in the school. But you know what? Like, you should apply to this. Like, you're a good candidate for this international high school program that my, that my daughter went to. I ended up applying to ULUC, United World College. I don't know mm-hmm. if you, you know it, but it's like this international high school. And they have it in 17 countries, 18 countries around the world. And I ended up applying and after, you know, an application process where we have 500 other people and, 
and getting selected. Uh, and that's sort of how I ended up first in New Mexico, in middle of nowhere, New Mexico. And then I came to Kenyan um, right after uh, I graduated from high school here in the US. Uh, and yeah, it's also been a journey. I think it's been incredible and, and so grateful. Did, did you have any any one of those like funny moments where you realize like that the cultural interpretation of something is completely different or that you're still adjusting? Do you have any of those moments? Actually, I do. It's not like a, like a cultural misfit, but like when I first came to New York, uh, uh, our school had an orientation program where like basically like, you know, like it's for students who were like came from abroad and whatnot. So um, at this like orientation program, our le orientation leader took us to Times Square. And um, basically one thing he was like explaining about the history of Times Square and he was being all factual and we believed every word of him. The one thing he added on to like prank us is the fact that he he said that supposedly Times Square has these like chemicals are supposed to stimulate you and that's what everything everybody bought that story thinking oh the Times square is poisoned by these chemicals but we later realized it was just like a prank that he was pulling on us so <laughs> yeah i could say like maybe the first year i was here i was pretty gullible when it comes to those kind of stuff we all have those we all have those i feel like i don't know this is a, a funny story that that uh like the first week that I was coming in the U.S., like, like the first thing that, that we did in the house is they took us to Walmart, right? Yeah. Like we needed to get things. And uh, first thing that happened in Walmart is that there was a, a Colombian friend mm -hmm. and um, there was a Colombian friend that, that, and I was with a Peruvian friend, right? And we were walking and we see a Colombian guy and he was asking something to a Walmart guy. He was like right in front of him and he was like, couldn't figure out a word. My English wasn't good. Like I was just, I had just learned verb to be for five years in high school in Venezuela. Uh, the first thing that, that happened is that he was trying to ask him a question and, and we stumbled upon him and he says, hey, like, you know, how do you say mani, which is peanuts in, in, in Spanish, right? But he says like, how do you say it in English? And I say, oh, uh, peanuts. And then he goes like, oh, excuse me, sir, do you have some peanuts? <laughs> I don't know, it's just like encapsulated how lost we were. But just going back to, to the serious thing, how was it like becoming the student body president? Uh, and, and what are some of the things that you did for the international student community while you were at Columbia? I think I could start with like why I decided to participate in student government in the first place. Bit of background, uh, I'm a, as I said, a South Korean national. And every South Korean male have to serve in one way in the mandatory military service. So I did, I went to the army after my freshman year, served there for about like year and nine months, and then came back. So when I came back, uh, I realized that there was a lot of these bureaucracies that I had to jump over just so that I could come back and study again at Columbia. And I felt, okay, why am I spending so much energy and time on these like bureaucratic processes? And is there any way I could like advocate international students so they could get maybe like a better like better representation and uh, with the administrators so first i started as a international student rep at the columbia college student council and then after doing that position for about a year and a half i decided to run for student body president one thing i did uh tried really hard to advocate is for a creation of a course for international students so all international students know that in order for them to work legally in the United States while they're on F1 visa, they either have to use two kinds of work authorizations. 
uh, CPT or OPT. And the CPT is the one that's actually related to coursework. You have to take a specific course in order to use that work authorization. And uh, when I was a sophomore, uh, Columbia did not offer any of the courses so that students could use their CPT, which actually affected a lot of students' ability to get internships and get job after graduation because they didn't have that much of an experience working in the United States. So I wrote op-eds and st uh, student newspapers saying why we need CPT right now. And I emailed administrators, everybody I could t uh, speak to. And then I even tried to like wriggle myself into this like black tie event that Columbia University hosted so that I could like talk to the president of the university saying, oh, we should need this. You should like do this right now. So I tried a lot of ways of getting our voices heard. And fortunately, uh, at the end of my sophomore year, they actually started to implement that course over summer break so that people could use it for their summer internships and whatnot. Yeah, no, I, I, I feel you 100%. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, to me, it's like, you know, going back to the first point, like CPT and OPT, that it's crazy that Columbia University yeah. did not have a, a, a class. Wow. And another thing I did was actually on the summer of 2020, uh, when uh, after I got elected as a student body president. Uh, so during July uh, of that uh, year, uh, Trump administration actually emplaced a lot of rules that forbid international students from coming to America if their school was online. And for those who are already in America, they cannot stay inside the country if their schools are online. And that really like put a lot of international students in danger of deportation. I was in Korea during that time. And I realized that if this rule actually comes into effect, then it means that I can't go back to America for a good year and maybe more. God knows how long this rule will be in place, which means that I can't see my friends. I can't do my research and I can't even meet my girlfriend again. So. When this rule first came out, I actually called it emergency town hall for international students so that all the international students at Columbia could uh, basically uh, join the Zoom meeting and we tried to figure out ways of advocating for this issue and try to like generate enough noise. So we did email writing campaigns. We reached out to our congressmen. We also uh, created like a one pager so that American students could know why this is a problem and that they could also like reach out to their politicians and congressmen. And fortunately, I think we generated enough noise and uh, attention to the point that I was selected by the New York State Attorney General to speak as an international student leader for her press conference. New York State Attorney General was suing the Trump administration for this rule, and that she had a press conference where I got to speak uh, my point of view and experience as an international student and support her uh, lawsuit against the uh, Trump administration. It was it's such a tense moment because it was like my first time giving any like important speech in English. So talking to like my uh, girlfriend and all my friends making like, oh, this makes sense. This is like uh, legitimate and whatnot. It was a very hard process to do it. But at the same time, when I actually delivered a speech, I felt it was very inspiring. Like, okay, like, I advocated, not for myself, but all the international students. And 
I hope that this actually uh, makes a difference. Um, I actually ended up speaking out myself. I tweeted uh, that same day. I, first of all, I, I felt so disappointed. Uh, I, I read the news and I started crying. Uh, me uh, having to return to Venezuela would have meant me going back to a humanitarian crisis and, and the administration supposing that I was going to be able to to carry out my education in the same way that I would have if I were in person. And, mm -hmm. and that was insane. Um, and I also, I, I tweeted something out, the, the tweet uh, received a lot of attention. I ended up speaking to a lot of media organizations, to Reuters, to um, Market Watch, to many were like just announcing this. I, I, and, and, you know, I'm so glad that a lot of people like you, like me, and many more ended up speaking up against this and, and, and you know, we made it happen. Yeah, now that I think about it, I actually think I've seen an article that featured you or that quoted you in one way or another. So I thank you for what you did as well. Oh, man, I, I you know, I think it's insane that right? we're coming from from all over the place and, and we come to America and, and having to end up doing activism. Walk me again through a point where you had to go to the army. Tell us a little bit more about that. Like, how was it like? You know, I can't imagine myself just like pausing my freshman year to go to the army. Yeah. Like, it was definitely a different experience than I would have had uh, going to school in, uh, in America. So after my freshman year, I enrolled in the Republic of Korean Army and I got situated at a military uh, base at the demilitarized Wow. A DMZ is the border between uh, North and South Korea, and it is one of the most dangerous places uh, where it has a lot of a lot of like tanks, a lot of landmines. I worked at this place in the DMZ called the Joint Security Area. It's actually a place where North Korea and South Korea have meetings. At least the time when I worked at at the DMZ, I worked as a security detail for visitors to the demilitarized zone. So. Uh, that included VIPs such as Secretary of State, uh, Defense Ministers, politicians, and even celebrities like Mila Djokovic. <laughs> she went to the Joint Security Area, and so I got to meet her, and that was amazing. Fun story that I have to tell. Well, it's not technically fun. It's a bit of a downer. But November on 2017, there was an incident where a North Korean soldier defected to South Korea through that Joint Security Area. And since North Korea being North Korea, other North Korean soldiers started to fire at that uh, North Korean soldier who was trying to escape North Korea. And that really caused a lot of like international tension and controversy because basically they were firing at our side. And during that day, I was actually on my day off. I was just like chilling in the base and I was about to just like, you know, get some nap or something like that. Then all of a sudden the alarm started to ring around the base and Sometimes I they have these like mock exercises. Okay, uh, must it be another training? But then realize that no, it's actually a real incident. And that I heard on the radio that there's been gunshots at the DMZ, and we gotta like go back to our barracks, get ready, grab our guns, and be prepared. And I was like, wow, the worst happened. I'm gonna die that day. Well, fortunately, I didn't die that day, but <laughs> it's like one of the moments where I like think back to it and realize it was so close wow yeah fortunately uh the north Korean soldier who defected was saved by our battalion commander he actually crawled up uh and then like dragged the guy back to south korea he had about like a lot of bullet in his body but 
it was saved uh, thanks to uh, prompt response. So that was the longest day of my life. Wow. And that's, that's very deep. And I'm sorry you had to go through that, but how did it feel like going back, you know, from being uh, a soldier, being a member of the army, and then just going back to school and, and, and you know, just like becoming a student again? How, yeah. how was the transition? With all this thing that happened in the army and the life and death situation, like it felt as if a lot of the things that happened in school didn't really matter, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Like... <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, like, as, like, college students, there's this, like, always these things happening on campus, whether it be, like, a controversy or a, some incident, whatnot. I really managed to get some, like, level-headedness when it comes to college life. Wow, that's incredible. That's an incredible story, man. I, I you know, I, I don't think there's anyone around us uh, at Canyon that has had such a, such a similar experience and my, my props to you of, of having such a such an incredible life experience. Thank you. What what are you doing now? What's your interest? What are you developing your career in? And and, and what are you what mm -hmm. are you doing? Yeah. So after graduation, I'm working as a software engineer uh, for a company called TechSiQ, and it's a it's a startup that focuses on privacy. Basically, what we do is that we make sure that documents are redacted uh, so that all their private information about whoever is in that document is gone. I think that uh, after my uh, summer, sophomore summer, working as a research assistant, sure, like researching about like quantum optics and how it works, it's really interesting, but I felt less applicable to my life. And I wanted to work in an environment where I can make change, and that change, that change is imminent and efficient for a lot of people. And so that's why I started to like do more on like software engineering in terms. So the next summer after that, I worked at Samsung Electronics back in Korea. So I worked at their smartwatch uh, department, and I could really like uh, see the effects the thing I did at Samsung uh, have on their product. So I was very grateful for that. Well, that's amazing. I, I feel like, you know, <laughs> we're very similar in a way. So I started as a, a policy and I also worked, I worked at the embassy, the Venezuelan embassy, the interim government's embassy. So to put the, the long story of the Venezuelan conflict into 30 seconds, uh, the Venezuelan dictatorship is not internationally recognized by 60 countries. Uh, mainly the U.S., the West, and many countries in Latin America. And the opposition, which had control over the National Assembly, which is the parliament, uh, the parliament, like the legislative body in Venezuela, they were able to declare that the election that led to Maduro, who's the dictator uh, who, who rose to power, uh, that election was rigged, that election was fraudulent, and therefore they declared that Juan Guaido, the president of the National Assembly, was actually the, 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 an interim president before elections could be held. Things have changed in Venezuela. Um, many countries have, with, have uh, withdrawn the support that they had given the interim government. Uh, it seems as though change is not imminent in Venezuela anymore. Um, but during that time, uh, it was really exciting and I, I got to be a part of the political affairs team of the embassy. And I also founded, um, and this was after the summer of my freshman year, Yaquera, which is a crowdfunding platform. 
what I ended up working on, and this came from my initially political background uh, and then transitioning to more of a tech background that I acquired founding uh, the nonprofit is, you know, how can we unlock international solidarity? How can we provide a pathway so that people outside of Venezuela, outside of Latin America, uh, or, or even within Venezuela and Latin America can support individuals directly. They can read their stories and support them in education, nutrition, healthcare, small businesses, and then individuals can receive the money, withdraw it, and pay directly for the goods and services that they need. For a while, people couldn't find food on the street, right? Like you could, you wouldn't be able to find food in the in the supermarket, and. Uh, uh, you know, if you're an aid organization or if you are the government, then you buy, let's say, a kilo of flour outside. And you haven't even asked the person that if they actually need flour, <laughs> if they don't actually need something else, right? Uh, you know, we completely changed it, the, the, the picture, right? Mm -hmm. like the individual tells their story, they create their campaign, they receive money and they can go with their e-wallet and go to a store and buy the things that they need. Right? Wow. So it's completely changed the picture. And that sort of sparked my interest in technology. And that's how I ended up, I worked uh, a summer uh, as a product manager intern at eBay. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt the same experience as you, like, you know, at, for again, a tech company and seeing the impact of your input as a student, as an intern into like the products that were de being delivered to, to people. Yeah, I really agree with your assessment that that there's a, I wouldn't say limit, but there's what a political change can achieve and what technology can achieve. And I think we're entering a world more and more where the latter could be just as effective. I think you, the thing you're doing is amazing and I'd love to, I'd love to hear more about it. Oh, thank you so much. And I think, you know, from, from that, from like the study of politics of government, I feel I, I take from you the same, right? You talked about how you came out of the army and you said, hey, like there's so much bureaucracy. <laughs> it seems as though there's so many middlemen, right? Preventing things to be rapid, quick, efficient. Uh, and that there's many ways, sometimes via institutional change, like what you did in Colombia or via technology that we can take those those middlemen out of the picture, that we can we can ensure that 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 the needs are met. And sometimes institutions haven't been too quick to adapt that mindset. One thing that I'm like worried is that the more and more the political process seems withdrawn more slow compared to the changes in technology, I, I fear that like a lot of people will have less and less faith in our political institution. So, and I've always felt that after working in technology and business, I want to see how my talent skill could be a good fit for our government. So. I was been interested in like seeing how uh, the experience I have and the skills that I have will be for the better use of government. So, I think it will. I think it will, and and I'm also excited to see what uh, you know what's next. Um, in and and just to to finish up with this, because because you know this is overseas overheard, right? And, yep. and we try to go back to the experience of international students. What else in your experience now after graduating after four years? Uh, what else could be done for international students? And, and the last thing that I want to ask you after that is what's your biggest piece of advice? If there's a, a freshman or even an, an, an international student who hasn't even arrived to the U.S. and is waiting to board on the airplane, you know, what, what is your biggest piece of advice? And then what else could we be done uh, for international students? Yeah, so 
if it were an ideal world, I would say that one thing, I would definitely one thing, uh, one thing I would love to change is the whole pathway for America uh, for international students to work in America. One of the America's key strengths is its ability to attract talent, and I think America would benefit if a lot of international students could like maybe stay here like longer than like. One year on OPT or whatnot, and that requires a political will to do so, and I think that's where、uh, advocacy would come in. And regarding the second part about the advice for any of the international students, whether they're like here or about to come here, I would say that the the very fact that you are you have decided to go away from your home country to study in another country with probably different language that itself. It's an act of courage and bravery. At first, you will feel you wonder yourself, "Why am I doing here?" You wonder yourself, you want to go back home. But after that stage, then you will like start to appreciate the opportunities and the learnings that you could have by coming to America. How about you? You know, like, do you have any <laughs> advice you want to give to international students as well? I think it's all about. Being driven, and I would just encourage people that if they have an incredible idea, be it business, be it in, in politics, society, and institutions that we were talking about, be it、uh, if they want to enact change and bring something like what you did with CPT uh, uh, in Colombia, that if we all have like those ideas that that you know just go forward, move forward, and and maybe if you want to send that email, then close your eyes about how stressed or anxious you are about it, and close your eyes for a little while and say like ah.、Oh, You know, I don't know how this is gonna go. Do it, but but just like push the button, submit that application, and keep going,、uh, because I think we're already super courageous, as you said,、uh, to come here. But、uh, sometimes it's about keeping that 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 rolling, right? Yeah. Thank you so much for everything. Thank you so much for for being here、uh, with us, and yeah,、uh, I hope everyone enjoyed this episode, and and it was great to meet you and to talk to you, Jun. Thank you very much. It was amazing to see you.